0: Hey everybody, it's Lon and It's time once again for your weekly wrap-up. We've got a bunch of stuff to look at today, including the need to find more interesting technology. And hopefully you all will help me with that. I tried messing around with the Hole application on the Raspberry Pi, which is a network-wide ad blocker, but ran into some trouble. And we'll talk about that when we get a little bit further into the video here. YouTube Premium is going to offer you freebies of their popular shows. You might be interested in watching Cobra Kai without having to have a subscription. We'll look at Firefox and its performance on low end computers, just like we did with the new Chromium version of Edge uh, that was uh, released in beta recently that we covered last week. We'll also talk about why I don't look at over the air TV tuner hardware on the channel. We'll also look at the next wave of virtual reality and whether or not exclusivity has hurt the advancement of virtual reality technology. Lots to talk about now, so let's get to it. Now, before we begin, I want to thank our newest supporters on the channel. George Trotter contributed via the DonorBox page and Paul Newell opened up a YouTube membership for the channel. I want to thank both of them for their support of the channel, along with everyone who's been contributing on an ongoing basis and everyone who watches on a regular basis, too, because all of those things equal channel growth. And the weekly wrap-up is being sponsored once again by Plex and the Plex Pass. Uh, We have been talking a lot here on the channel about subscriptions versus ownership of your media. And one of the nice things about Plex is that if you own a lot of media— It makes it very easy to organize the media that you own, and it also lets you basically run your own cloud service in that you can watch your TV shows from your home server when you're on the road. It'll even compress that stuff in the background so you can watch it over a cellular connection. Uh, You can even do things like download your media for offline viewing. Now, Plex is free to try out. In fact, you can get a lot of its features for free forever but if you want to do more with Plex, then look at getting the Plex Pass. You can do a lifetime subscription, so it's a one-time purchase. You get things like a DVR that will connect up to over-the-air antennas or the uh, cable-based HD Home Run Prime that I have. You can watch live TV both locally and remotely with a Plex Pass. You get mobile syncing for offline viewing so you can download stuff to your phone for your airplanes and train rides and everything else. You get free Plex apps across all of their platforms, parental restriction controls so your kids don't get into stuff you don't want them to see. You can add subtitles to your movies right within the app, early access to new features, and a lot more stuff. So definitely check it out at the link that you see on screen. I use Plex every single day. It is a great application for organizing your TV shows, movies, music, and a bunch of other stuff too, so definitely check it out. So let's take a look now at the week in review. On the Extras channel, we uploaded a montage from our high-speed camera video that we did the other day. I was really disappointed with the viewership we got on that original video, which was why we broke out the montage here in the hopes of maybe picking up a few more viewers here or there. It was a little bit long, but we actually went through how these cameras worked and showed you uh, what we did to get the camera working in each of the scenarios that we were shooting that day. So definitely check it out if you are Interested in the way one of these really expensive high-speed cameras works? And let me know what you thought down below in the comment stream. Uh, We also did a bunch of stuff, though, on the main channel that uh, many of you responded well to. We had a review of the HB Chromebook X360, which is a 14-inch device and a viewer was kind enough to let me borrow his to do the review. I've been having a very hard time getting HP computers into the studio, so it's nice to be able to borrow one, review it, and send it back. In fact, it's going back a little bit later today. Uh, we also looked at the Mayflash Magic NS. I bought this for my... Uh, Mr. Project device and I compared it to the 8-bit DOE adapter that has very similar hardware inside. And there are some differences and there are some things that I liked a little bit better about the May Flash device. Now if you're not familiar with these, they are kind of like Swiss Army knife devices for your game controllers. You can take out your Sony PS4 controller, for example, and use it on your Nintendo Switch. You can also use those PlayStation controllers on your PC without any additional software intermediaries to get them to work with X input. Works on Android devices as well. It's a very convenient device for getting controllers working in a pinch. And they work great with the Mr. if you're looking for wireless controller capabilities. We also looked at the new Microsoft Edge beta that is now running with the guts of Chrome inside, the open-source Chromium engine, and we looked at how it ran on low-end hardware, and in just a second, we'll see how Firefox does as well. And now it's time for a couple of things that are on my mind, and this is week 114 of me doing this as a full-time occupation, and I wanted to talk a little bit about last month's traffic. Uh, Usually, April and May are the slowest months I have here on the channel, and this month was no exception. Uh, We had under a million views, which is something I don't like to see all that often. I typically do about a million views a month. Uh, But when you go back and look at the history of viewership on the channel, it's actually okay because we hit a bit of a lull here in the springtime. It happens every year, as you can see. Uh, These spikes are the holiday shopping season, uh, so we usually do much better Uh, in November, depending on what we find over the course of the year. So I call spring and summer like the spring and summer hustle because I want to get as much stuff reviewed and up as possible so that when those holiday shoppers start looking for stuff, uh, we've got it here for them to see. So my Q&A for you this week is to get some suggestions for things to review. Uh, Typically, I look for name brand products that are not all that expensive. That's my typical Uh, Focus. But if there are things out there that might cost a little bit more, but you think might be interesting, do let me know down in the comment stream. What I'm going to try to do is get as much in from the manufacturers as possible, but in many cases, I'll end up just buying it, reviewing it, and then selling it to one of you at a lower price. So let me know what's out there, what you're thinking about getting, and that will certainly. Uh, help us out as we get all the content ready for the holiday rush. Now, one video that did really well last month was my overview of Pi VPN, which is a VPN server you can install on your Raspberry Pi. It was actually very easy to get it up and running, and people who've been watching the video have been doing their installations and reporting a lot of success, and the YouTube algorithm has been rewarding that video with more views. And I wanted to follow it up with something similar, which was Pi Hole... Uh, This is the control panel for it here. Now, PyHole is an ad blocker that can run for your entire network versus just individual web browsers. So typically, when you have an ad blocker, you install it as a plug-in into Chrome or Edge or one of the other browsers you might be using. What PyVPN does is it works as a DNS server, and it just blocks your clients from hitting advertising servers, which can work out quite well, especially for devices like TV boxes and other things that don't allow you to install plugins. The problem I ran into it, though, was that it was very hard to whitelist websites. You could go in and click on whitelist over here and go through that process, but if I whitelisted my local uh, news site, for example, I was not seeing ads there still because Uh, you also have to whitelist all the ad servers that that site might be using. And if those things change on a regular basis, then it's really hard to get any kind of consistent whitelisting. Typically, on an ad blocker on a browser, you would whitelist the site and the ad blocker just wouldn't work for that particular site. And that is often very useful because there are websites that may not be displaying an ad to you but might be pulling some script from a remote server that... Uh, needs to have the ad blocker disabled for it to work properly. I'm sure many of you have encountered that uh, in your own use of ad blockers. And unfortunately, on Pi-hole, it's not clear cut. You really have to go in and do a lot of work uh, to get the whitelisting to work properly for different sites, and it was going to be much too complicated for a very simple how-to video. So if you are running Pi-hole, do let me know down in the comments below how you are whitelisting sites, and maybe we'll do a video on Pi-hole if we can very efficiently explain How to do the whitelisting, because that's what's holding me up at the moment. And in the news this week, it looks like YouTube is going to be making some of their original shows free to watch for limited periods of time. They're doing this, of course, in an effort to attract more YouTube Premium subscribers, which I think is actually a good thing. I like YouTube Premium quite a bit as a viewer, because I don't see any ads in the videos, especially on my Shield TV, pop up a lot faster. It's just a quick button push, and it's just playing. It's pretty nice how fast it loads up. Uh, One of the things, though, that I like YouTube Premium for as a creator is that creators are compensated for every minute that YouTube Premium subscribers watch. And in my analysis, there's a 5x increase in revenue per video from YouTube premium watchers versus free ad-supported watching. And the reason is is that when you have a monetizable video on YouTube, not every view is monetized because if there's no ad that appears before the video or the viewer skips the ad, then of course you're not compensated, but YouTube premium every minute is compensated and it can result in much better revenue for the independent content community if more people Uh, sign up on the premium tier. I like the fact that, though, YouTube gives viewers a choice. You don't have to become a premium subscriber. You can still watch the video with ads. I'm more than happy to make my content available to either tier of service, and I think it's good for the platform overall. The biggest reason is that for many videos that are demonetized, uh, they are still monetizable as YouTube premium videos so that if a premium viewer comes to a video that would normally not get a lot of ads because it's been deemed sensitive uh, there is still the same level of compensation on that video for that creator from the premium viewers and that's a big difference here especially for people that are doing journalism where they might be covering sensitive topics there's no sensitivity issue with premium revenue. And I think it can really make this platform more sustainable for independent creators. And it's very good to see that YouTube is still working hard to get people to subscribe. And I hope they do more of this kind of content like Cobra Kai. And the reason is, is that they've spent a lot of time kind of picking winners and losers amongst their favorite YouTube creators and that they give you know some big creator a bunch of money to make some videos they would normally do otherwise and just put them on this premium tier. Cobra Kai is something different. It's a relatively low-budget show, but it's very well-written. It's a continuation of Karate Kid. It follows the older characters, which people like me are very familiar with, and then it has a whole new storyline of the children of these characters as they're going through their lives. It appeals to a very broad audience. It's just such a perfect piece of content for YouTube, and I hope Uh, They do more of this to attract more subscribers because ultimately the entire platform benefits from more premium subscribers, and the platform also benefits from the fact that you don't have to be a premium subscriber to consume the content and enjoy it. And I hope YouTube continues to allow both tiers on their platform. And now it's time for a Q and A from you, the viewers. And our first question comes in from David, who is curious about how Firefox runs with some of those higher end YouTube videos that we looked at in that Chromium Edge beta video I did the other day. So I took out that Kodlix fanless mini PC that we had in that video. And I've got the same video here now running Uh, on that PC and we're going to see how it does. Uh, So we did get a bunch of drop frames at the outset here as it was spinning up, but it looks like it's doing okay. Uh, What I'm finding with this browser is that when the overlays pop up, uh, namely the uh, play and pause controls, we start to see more drop frames. Now I'm gonna move my mouse up here and you can see the drop frames are uh, running in this viewport section of the stats for nerds. And you can see that those drop frames began Uh, when the playhead thing here popped up. So when it disappears, uh, we'll see those drop frames kind of level off here. We're still getting a few here or there, um, but it will do better without that playhead thing showing up there. So we're seeing a couple of drop frames here, not many. So I think it's doing okay, actually. But watch this. If I move the mouse again, you'll see those drop frames start to increase once more. So it's having some trouble with the overlays here, but uh, overall, it seems like it's doing better than Chrome does, but not as good as Edge. And this, by the way, was something that I saw when I did a video a couple of years ago, actually, about the differences between Edge, Chrome, and Firefox. I'll put a link to that uh, down below in the master playlist. Uh, On these low-end PCs, the Microsoft version of Edge is still the best one out there for playing back this kind of video. Now, there is a workaround on Chrome to make things a little bit better, which is installing the H.264ify uh, plug-in, which will force the video to play back in H.264 versus the VP9 codec that YouTube typically uses. But the problem with this is that most consumers won't do that. They'll go out and they'll buy one of these inexpensive PCs and think that it's not working properly because... Uh, It's running so slowly with the videos they're trying to play back. And the killer is the hardware is more than capable of playing back that video properly. And I just want Google to fix it. They can do it. It's not impossible. It works fine on Edge, for example, so that people could actually get uh, what their hardware is capable of doing. And this problem is very prevalent on Intel-based Chromebooks. So it kills me that we've got Google Chrome, which is made by Google, running on Chrome OS, which is made by Google, Uh, with a video from YouTube, which is also owned by Google, not working to its full and best potential. And this has been going on now for four or five years at least, uh, and I just would love to see them finally get to the bottom of it and fix it. Uh, But for now, if you do have a low-end PC, the non-Chromium version of Edge, as we found in that video, is still the best experience and likely will be for some time. And hopefully the uh, good start that we saw with the Chromium version of Edge will Uh, make things better across the board for low-end PC users moving forward. Now, this next question involves cord-cutting devices and why I don't look at over-the-air tuners here on the channel. Uh, Eric Anthony Pearson was wondering why I don't cover the Amazon Recast DVR, for example. He wonders, is it because of Silicon Dust sponsorship or some other reason? Uh, The reason is not because of the sponsorship. They are a long-term sponsor here on the channel, but it really comes down to what I am able to get over the air here, which is pretty much nothing at all. And as a result of that, I can't really do a thorough review of something that I can't actually use here. And the worst part is that I can't really go anywhere else nearby either to use it because we just get nothing over the air where I happen to live. So not only do I have upload problems with my internet, I get nothing (laughs) over the air, as you can see. Uh, This is from the antennaweb.org website. Uh, which does an analysis of your address to see exactly what you might be able to pick up over the air. If I get the antenna up high enough, there's a couple of standard definition channels that I can get, but they're all those sideband networks. It's not any of the major networks, so I have a really hard time uh, testing any of this stuff because I just can't make it work the way that someone who has better luck receiving TV signals will get. Uh, The reason why the silicon dust stuff gets covered so much here is because I have their cable device, the HD Home Run Prime, that works with a cable card, so I can bring in all of my cable TV programming that I pay for and use it on their platform, and their platform also happens to work the same exact way with their over-the-air tuners, and that's why uh, we spent so much time with the HD Home Run stuff and Plex and other things that work with the HD Home Run, but nothing else, and again, it's due to that Reason. Now, if you are thinking about cutting the cord and want to see what you can get, uh, head over to antennaweb.org, type your address in, and you hopefully will get uh, better results than I get here. Uh, But that is the reason. I would be definitely looking at this stuff if I could actually make any kind of use of it. Uh, But at the moment, I just can't get anything here. I may try to put up a huge tower thing and see if I do any better, but my Hopes are not high, just given my geographic location. And on the Facebook group last week, I posted up how excited I was for the new VR experiences coming from both Facebook's Oculus group and Valve. And I got some responses that I think are really the pain points that consumers are experiencing with VR currently. Uh, Joanne points out that it requires a lot of bulky hardware and you need a good space in which to use it because you're often tethered to the computer. And Zero here has an Oculus Rift, but isn't using it all that much because he doesn't like that experience of being tethered to something. And I think probably there's just so much stuff to set up every time you need to use your Rift, you know, clearing the space out and getting your sensor bars up and everything that it's almost not worth it by the time you get it up and running because you spent half an hour just trying to get everything calibrated and configured. And that is why I think the Uh, Oculus Quest might have some legs when it comes out later this month. Now, you can pre-order it right now. This is a standalone VR experience, not the first one we've seen, but one that I think has a little bit more of a marketing muscle behind it, which may result in consumers adopting it a little bit more, perhaps, than we've seen other standalone systems do. Now, from a specification standpoint, This isn't much, but it's good enough. It's got an OLED display, which should give you decent uh, blacks on screen, nice contrast ratio on those OLED devices. Uh, The refresh rate is not spectacular, but it's good enough, 72 hertz. The resolution is actually better than the Oculus Rift and the new Rift S that's also coming out this month, uh, 1440 by 1600 per eye. It only has four gigs of RAM and is powered by a Snapdragon 835. These specs are pretty much identical to what we saw from Lenovo last year with their first standalone VR headset called the Mirage Solo. Now, this ran Google's Daydream VR interface, which you can get on your smartphone with a headset or as a standalone self contained device here that Lenovo put out. I don't think it's sold very well, primarily because Google hasn't put a lot of effort into marketing their virtual reality experience. But I found this to be for a kind of a low end piece of hardware. A very compelling experience because you didn't need to set up anything to use it. You just put it on and it worked. You could walk around the space, get that six degrees of freedom. I was even able to disable the safety controls on it and walk around my entire space here inside of a VR game that I was playing. It was pretty cool. Uh, You can check out that video uh, linked down below in the master playlist. And I think Oculus and Lenovo have teamed up on hardware. Uh, Lenovo is making the new Rift S headset And I wouldn't be surprised if they're also making the Quest, given that this device they released last year has the same exact specifications. It's pretty much a high-end smartphone here. But the difference, though, is that Facebook has got a lot of developers on board for this. They've got the controllers with, uh, you know, two controllers that can replicate a lot of what you might get in a PC experience with lower graphics. And I think it might actually do fairly well. Now, last year, of course, Oculus released the Oculus Go, which is another standalone headset, but this one lacked the six degrees of freedom. You can only just look around, and it had a single controller. It's not all that expensive, though, and I think it actually sold better than you might think. I was seeing a lot of uh, interest on this around the holiday season on the YouTube channel, and I also do videos on uh, Amazon's uh, video shorts, and I was getting a ton of traffic on these because I think they were a Black Friday special. And I think there is this consumer interest to try out VR, but all of the PC-based solutions are just too much. Now, one other thing that Oculus is doing is having some cross-buy as part of the deal. Now, I don't know if any Oculus Go titles will be eligible for this, but apparently if you are a Rift owner like Zero, uh, there are a number of games that will show up on your Quest for free without an additional purchase. So, Check out that link from Upload VR and see if your favorite game that you are not playing on the Rift is available on the Quest, and you might have a few titles to start out with if the tethering hasn't been doing it for you. Uh, So take a look at that. Now, on the higher end is the Valve Index, and this was also released for pre-order last week. Now, I did pre-order one. It is not cheap. The whole kit here, as you can see, with the knuckle controllers and the two light posts and the headset is $1,000, but if you have an HTC Vive, your old sensors will work with the new hardware. So some people may just want to get the headset, some may want to get the headset and the controllers, and you can have a choice as to what you pick up depending on what you already have. I did get the whole kit just because I plan on selling my Vive, and Uh, we'll uh, do a review of this when it comes out now this is more of the same it's tethered to a pc you've got to have all the stuff set up and calibrated but if you want the top end experience uh, the new index will be it I think and a lot of uh, high-end pc vr people are very excited about it so it's got a very high refresh rate Uh, most of the games are going to be at 120 hertz but it can go up to 144 hertz. And the big selling point on this one is that the display has a very low persistence rate in that it can change an image completely in 0.330 milliseconds, according to their specification sheet, uh, which means that you won't get a lot of ghosting even though you're going to pay a bit of a blackness penalty due to the fact that they're not using OLED but are using LED uh, LEDs can really be a lot faster than OLED, and they made a choice here, and I think it's probably the better one. Uh, you won't really notice the difference in black levels unless you're going side by side with an OLED display at the same time. Uh, they also said it will get 50% more subpixels, so the images will look sharper and more realistic. 1440 by 1600 per eye, just like the Uh, Oculus Quest is, but of course, you'll be driving it with a high end PC and GPU, so those images will look a lot better, and the quality of the display might be a little bit better as well, even though it's the same resolution. Uh, So, what I'm going to be using is my uh, GTX 1080 powered gaming PC that I've got upstairs. Uh, The main processor is old, it's a Haswell i7 from about four years ago, but it's been fine for VR, and I think this will do well. But I think if you have higher end uh, GPUs, you'll even do better. So we'll see exactly what I'm able to do with it uh, when it does finally come out. Now, the virtual reality industry, as we know it, is about three or four years old. And I wonder if exclusivity has hurt the industry more than helped it. And this was brought up in the book, The History of the Future by Blake Harris. We talked about this book a few weeks ago. Uh, Palmer Luckey, who was the founder of Oculus, was not happy about the fact that Oculus was going to lock down its platform and not allow developers to make their games work on other VR systems. You can get a full list of Oculus-exclusive games there up on screen. And then Oculus went further and tried to shut down an open-source project that allowed those Oculus games to run on an HTC Vive, for example. They backed off on that effort to shut down the open-source project, but you still have to buy those games directly at Oculus, and it's not always a perfect conversion over to the Vive when you are running with that software layer. It's called Revive. Uh, Sony also has paid off developers to remain exclusive to their platform as well. And you can get a list of PS4 exclusives uh, up on the screen there. And I wonder if the fact that uh, people haven't adopted VR all that much is that there's a limit to what experiences you can have depending on what headset you might have chosen So if you're on the PlayStation, for example, you're not going to see all those Oculus exclusives. If you're on the Vive, you may not get either the PlayStation or the Oculus exclusives. And there's been just a limit in experiences as a result of this. And to some degree, I think sales have likely been hurt. And it's probably cost Facebook, who owns Oculus and Sony, a lot more money perhaps than they anticipated. Because in paying these developers, they lost money on... Uh, That effort, they probably aren't selling as many titles because the adoption rate isn't all that there, and I think the exclusivity has really slowed down things for uh, what I think is a very cool and fun technology. Another example are some of the things that are happening just with VR experiences within software that is available cross-platform. So, for example, Star Wars Battlefront has an awesome X-Wing VR mission that's only available on the Sony PS4 even though Battlefront is available on multiple platforms. So I can get Battlefront on my PC, but I can't get the VR experience on the PC. Another good example is the recently released Ace Combat 7, which is available, of course, on the PS4 and on the PC, but the VR experience is PS4 only. I'm hoping that's a window thing where we might see the VR experience on PC later, but it kills me that this would be an awesome thing to play on my Vive or on my future Valve Index device, and I can't get that experience here because I don't own the right hardware. And that, to me, is very, very limiting, and, again, I think hurting the VR industry overall. Now, we are seeing, though, some efforts by fans to do more, with Star Wars at least, and this was just released over the weekend on May 4th. Uh, A college uh, project on motion sickness released this awesome X-Wing VR simulator It's not perfect by any means, but it's the best we've got right now on the PC, and it actually is a fairly fun experience. You start off uh, far away from the Death Star fighting the TIE Fighters, and then you work your way down into the trench. It kind of mirrors the Star Wars arcade game. It needs some work. It'd be great for these college kids to release this into the public domain, or at least as an open source project to... Uh, allow this to be developed further, because I can tell you Electronic Arts is never going to give us this, because they probably have some deal with Sony preventing that Battlefront VR extension from getting released out to PC. And this is the kind of stuff that people need to be able to adopt VR. I think it's crazy that we are again, three or four years into PC-based virtual reality, and we still don't have an X-Wing game. That is just, just malpractice, in my opinion. So uh, that's where things need to go. Now, one good example of how VR is being used properly is the upcoming No Man's Sky VR update. This looks awesome. Uh, They have really done a lot with this game to win back the fans and maybe attract some new ones. And this will be the entire uh, No Man's Sky experience in virtual reality. It will be available on the PS4, but also on the PC at the same time. And this is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to uh, playing with this when it's released a little bit later this summer. Now, my pick of the week this week is also something we will be reviewing this week on the channel, which is the Wise Sense... And my pick is a video that details its production. Now, if you're not familiar with Wyze, they make those really low-cost security cameras that sell for about $20 or so. Uh, really good value, no subscription fee. And now they're coming out with some sensors that can monitor doors opening and closing, as well as a motion sensor that is infrared-based for detecting when somebody might walk into a room. Uh, These kits will sell for 20 bucks as well, and they work with their existing cameras, and the video Details the entire production phase of this product, including the design, the troubleshooting they went through. I found it pretty interesting, and you might find it interesting too. You can check it out at the link you see there on screen. We're also going to take a look at the Samsung Flash laptop. This is a lower end device from Samsung. It's about $350 or thereabouts. It's got a Gemini Lake processor built in, running Windows, of course. Probably the most unique keyboard deck I have seen in a laptop in a while. I don't know if that's a good thing, though. Uh, You'll get a full review of that coming up very shortly. We're also going to have an interview with the president of MoCA, which is the Multimedia Over Coax Alliance. And the MoCA devices we talk about quite a bit here on the channel are the Action Tech devices here. These allow you to extend your network over your cable TV wiring and you get gigabit performance in both directions with it. It's really good stuff, and I've been using these for a number of years now, even before they were a sponsor here on the channel, and we'll be having a sponsored video from Mocha where we're going to be talking about the placement of the filter that you use on your Mocha network. Uh, Those filters prevent your Mocha traffic from going over to your neighbor's apartment or the house next door. We'll also talk about the best placement of these devices and some best practices for making sure your uh, wiring is in good shape so I think that interview might be interesting to you all. That's coming up a little later in the week. And we're also going to take a look at a new camera with a printer built in from Canon called the IV Click and I think this will not do very well with you subscribers who did not find much of an interest in the HP Sprocket printer we looked at recently that was similar to this. But uh, that sprocket video did really well, especially around the holiday season, as people were looking for gifts. So I think this is actually going to be one of those videos that flops at first, but becomes very successful in the end. Uh, this is a little instant camera with a printer built in, one of those zinc printers, and it costs a hundred bucks. I don't know how good it's going to be. We'll find out in the review. But again, I think this will be something that will get a lot of views around the holiday season. Uh, so be prepared. We're going to have one of these coming up, and hopefully you'll have some good feedback for me on that when it gets posted. Now, if you want to support the channel, you can watch my Canon video, or you can contribute via our donor box page at lon.tv slash support, which you can find on screen there. We also have that ongoing relationship with Plex, where if you sign up for a free Plex account, no credit card required, we get a small commission. We get a slightly larger commission if you sign up for a Plex pass or gift it to somebody else. We have other channels you can follow me on, including my extras channel for unboxings and supplementary content. We have my podcast, which is an audio version of this show that you can find at lawntv slash podcast. We also have my snippets channel at lawntv slash snippets, where we post portions of this show in a more search-friendly format. And we have my live streams at lawntv slash live streams for archives of my live events that I do from time to time. Now, if you like what I do and want to get notified, you can click on the bell every time I go live or post a video. You'll get a notification pushed down to you and I think emailed to you as well. And there are some ways to engage with the channel with my email list at lon.tv slash email. Those only go out every once in a while when we've got something special to talk about. We have my Facebook page at lon.tv slash Facebook. The Facebook group, which is almost the 700 members at lon.tv slash Facebook group. I get a lot of great ideas for this show from that. I wanna thank everyone for their participation there. And we have my store at lantv store where I sell things that I've previously purchased to review on the channel at a price that costs less than what those items cost new. And that Samsung laptop will be one of those items up there once we're done reviewing it. And if you wanna get notified whenever I add something to the store, you can go to lantv store alert and get a notification. So that is going to do it for this week's weekly wrap up. Thank you all for your continued viewership and support. Keep those questions and comments coming. And until next time, this is Lon Seidman. Keep on watching and thank you for watching today. This channel is brought to you by the Lon.tv supporters, including Gold Level Supporters, the Four Guys with Quarters podcast, Tom Albrecht, and Kalyan Kumar. If you want to help the channel, you can by contributing as little as a dollar a month.